Good morning. Good morning to the rest of you as well. <laughs> uh, I'm not feeling well. Thanks, Jason. <coughs> this doesn't often happen, thankfully, but I uh, uh, felt a bit ropey this last few days, and uh, I've got my tissues. There, there used to be a guy, this will bring back some memories for some of you, but there used to be a guy that would come from England and preach at a church that some of us went to quite frequently. And uh, he had this thing that he did where <laughs> he, would, uh, he would look at the sound man and, and he would do this with his, with his hanky. He'd just give the sound man a wee look and, uh, and do that. And, and that was the signal to the sound man that he needed to mute the microphone. Because when this guy blew his nose, <laughs> honestly, the angels stood in awe. And uh, the earth, the tilt of the earth's axis, I'm convinced, changed slightly each time he blew his nose. People would dive under their seats to take cover. Uh, so yeah, if you see the if you see the, the the tissue shaking about, brace yourselves. Hopefully, we'll be okay. Uh, we're back in Luke. Uh, Joel did our our last instalment in Luke a few weeks ago, uh, looking at the first of two parables in Luke chapter eighteen that are that are based around prayer. And this morning, I'm going to look at the second one. So we're not going to cover a pile of ground today. Just about half a dozen verses uh, in Luke eighteen verses nine to fourteen. Here's what Luke writes to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who, hum- who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, for your word and for this short little teaching of Jesus. And I pray, God, that our hearts would be open and that you would minister to us, that you would speak to us, that you would instruct us, Lord, and that your word would go forth with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, whatever that might look like, Father, in each of our lives and in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Luke is the only one who, who tells this parable, and he's kind enough to start off by telling us who the target audience is. Uh, sometimes if you go to a concert, you'll hear a singer at the start of a song uh, declaring what type of person in the audience this song is for, you know, so they'll, you'll get a bit of banter and a bit of crack and they'll say, oh, who's here tonight and you're in love and people's hands will go up and say, this, this one's for everybody who's in love or, uh, you know, this one's for friendship or this one's for uh, all the single ladies or this one's for those who stood their ground for Tommy and Gina who never backed down out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks. Well, for Luke, 
This one is for those who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, (laughs) which is not going to get the crowd cheering, uh, ready for for what's next. Uh, this, This parable is very clearly targeted at a certain type of person. Those who were confident of their own righteousness. And, and what, the, what the word means is, is a sense of a long-running, deeply ingrained self-confidence in their own righteousness before God. And what they have achieved and what they have done and who they are. And look down on others is a term that means despised others, had contempt for them. That's the target audience of this little parable. And Jesus doesn't miss and hit the wall on this occasion. Two men went up to the temple to pray. And what this is likely is a daily public worship service in the temple. It's not, don't don't picture these two guys going up individually and sitting one at one corner of of the sanctuary or whatever and one at the other corner like you might see in in some churches where people just go in on their own quietly to to pray. That's probably not what this was like. It was probably that time of day in the temple routine where the priest had offered a sacrifice for sin and then was going to burn incense. And at that time, when we read Luke 1 uh, about Zechariah, we we get a wee glimpse of this. When Zechariah's division was on duty... And he was serving as a priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. That's probably what the scene was like. The priest was doing his daily duty at a particular time of day, offering a sacrifice for sin. And as part of that, he would go and burn some incense and that triggered the people to pray. They would gather, if there's something they wanted particularly to pray for, they would gather at that time. And when they saw the incense being burned, they would pray together. So these two guys in our story, the Pharisee and the tax collector, have gone up to the temple to pray. Pharisee. And you're probably sitting there thinking, not again. I can't believe Spence is doing another sermon that is based around Pharisees. Well, sorry, but Jesus is telling another story that is based around Pharisees. And that has been such a theme in the Gospel of Luke. And we're just trying to be faithful to this book and to this account of Jesus' life and ministry. And that's what's next. A story about a Pharisee. A respected religious leader. People didn't dislike Pharisees. They liked them. They looked up to them. And they, they thought, these guys have it sorted. That's what I want to be like, these, these, these religious leaders. So he was a respected leader, a member of the most pious, holy movement in society. That's one of our guys. And the other one is a tax collector. Now it's February, which means it wasn't that long since it was January. And just let your heart ponder tax collectors. The tax man, H-M-R-C and all associated things that go along with it. Uh, this, this guy is, is not a tax collector working for your government to collect taxes to pay for your health service and your education and whatever. This guy's working for the enemy. He's working for the Romans, 
the occupying force that has taken over Israel in the, in the first century BC. And he's a member of the most hated group of people in society. So those are our two characters. They're polar opposites. The respected religious leader and the despised parasite that is a tax collector. Two men went up. Two men went up. Both went to the same place, the temple. Both went with the same intention to pray. Two men went up to the temple to pray. Let's look at the prayer of the first one. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. Now the reason he stands by himself is because a Pharisee did not want to mingle with the riffraff. Didn't want to be among the people. In case some of those people who had wandered up to the temple that particular morning to join the the prayer gathering. In case some of them were ceremonially unclean. Because if he then rubbed shoulders with them, he would become unclean. And he then would have stood at a distance from the gathered. When it says that he's, that he's standing by himself, it does not mean, again, that he's in isolation in a little corner and nobody's anywhere near him. It just means he's, he's keeping his distance from the crowd. But I think they can still hear him. It's likely that he is praying aloud and that he uses the opportunity, see if this rings a bell, to communicate something to people who happen to be there while he's praying. Have you ever been, (laughs) this might draw a smile and it might not, but have you ever been in a prayer meeting where somebody has been praying, but they're not actually praying. (laughs) They're talking to somebody else across the room and and disguising it as prayer. You know, the most extreme example might be, Lord, please help Brother Fred to stop being so nasty. Well, Brother Fred is, is three chairs away. And you'll, you'll get this phenomenon sometimes where people are, are it, it's made out to look like prayer, but they ain't praying. <laughs> they're talking to somebody else in the room. And, you know, or, or else they're maybe talking about what they have done. Lord, I thank you that today you enabled me to show such kindness to people and to give them some money. <laughs> you know, amen. And that, that's the sort of prayer this guy is engaged in. He is standing away from the crowd, but they can still hear him. He makes sure that they know how awesome he is. And the prayer starts really well. God, I thank you. That's a great way to start your prayers. In fact, it's a biblical way to start your prayers. Uh, this, this sounds like a praise psalm. You get different types of psalms, praise psalms and lament psalms would be the main two types. But you get lots of praise psalms in the Old Testament like this. Give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good. His love endures forever. Or Psalm 7 verse 17, I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. Or Psalm 75, 1, we praise you, God, for your name is dear. People tell of your wonderful deeds. So we have this picture of coming to God and saying, God, I thank you. And then the prayer goes on to say something about God that he's thankful for. Thankful for God's love, for his righteousness, for his wonderful deeds. So far, the Pharisee's prayer is pretty good because he starts off with, God, I thank you. And you're waiting for some great thing that God has done that the Pharisee is thankful for. No, he doesn't talk about God. He talks about himself. 
He says, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. <laughs> and the prayer starts to head south really, really quickly. <laughs> the, the, first, the first four words were good. Everything after this is bad. I did listen to somebody this week who, who was saying that the Pharisee's prayer was a really good prayer. And I'm like, mate, it's not. <laughs> you know, it is not. It starts off well, but it, is, it, it, it quickly heads off course. What does he say? I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, and adulterers. Now, let your heart be challenged. Uh, several times during the, the journey through Luke, I have reminded you of one particular Bible study by one particular preacher at a church in Belfast, and the title of it was, Is There a Little Pharisee in Me? So come on, listen and see if any of this ever creeps close to your heart. What we've seen already, would you ever pray in front of people in a way that might draw attention to you and what you've done? Or as he's doing here, it's always possible to find people out there who you reckon are worse than you. (laughs) Very, very easy. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers. And a quick look at the, at the newspaper will very easily provide you with a list of candidates to fill those three roles. Robbers, you know, you don't even need to go to the newspaper. You, you, could, you could start your prayer something like this. Thank you, God, that I'm not like those scumbags who hack into people's Amazon accounts or who defraud and empty their bank accounts by pretending to be their bank contact. Thank you that I'm not like those robbers, but please overlook those minor tweaks that I made in January on the self-assessment form to, to bring things down a bit, you know. Or we could look for evildoers who are worse than us. Thank you, God, that I'm not like that guy who threw a corrosive substance into the face of his ex-partner in London a few weeks ago. But please overlook the fact that I take little nasty digs at my spouse all day, every day. Or adulterers. Thank you, God, that I'm not like those people who were at the Devonish Club in Belfast on Valentine's night. But please overlook all the things that I look at on social media that I really shouldn't look at. It's always easy to find someone who, who you will convince yourself and I can convince myself, well, I, I have a little problem here, but it's not as bad as him. Not as bad as her. And that's what this Pharisee does. He compares himself to other people. And in a world like ours that is teeming with evil and where it is so easy on the news and on the internet and in the papers to see evil on a grand scale, it's so easy to find somebody out there who's worse than I am. But the next part of his prayer is... Thank you, God, that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And now we're in really dangerous ground because he is not just saying, thank you, God, that that there's people out there who are worse than me and who I can compare myself to and feel good about myself. He's actually now looking at the gathered assembly of God's people. And within the gathered assembly of God's people, he's finding people who are worse than him. And now we're on really dangerous ground. (laughs) Really dangerous ground. Not only is it possible to find people out there who are worse than you, it's always possible to find people in here, in any church gathering, who you reckon 
are worse than you. Tax collector is at the same worship service as the Pharisee. He's crying out to the same God and the Pharisee picks him out and uses him as a way to feel better about himself. Is there a little Pharisee in me? Guard your heart. Guard your heart because this attitude will destroy community. And not only is it possible to to compare yourselves with people out there and with people in here, it's possible to take comfort in the things that you do. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. It's possible to pray in a way that starts to place your confidence in what you have done. But this stuff that that he says, that's easy. Fasting twice a week is easy, especially if you start the day at sunset and run up to the following sunset. Because you could eat like a pig at about six o'clock this evening, not need anything more to bedtime. You get up tomorrow morning, you don't take breakfast, you don't take lunch, and then you eat like a pig again at about six o'clock tomorrow. It's not, that would not be that difficult. So this guy's blowing about doing that twice a week, and it's not really that big a thing to blow about. No harm to him. And tithing, he he said, you know, I fast twice a week and give a tenth or a tithe of all I get. These guys were so fussy about tithing that they tithed their herbs, the herbs, the little basil plant on the windowsill in the kitchen. Okay, let's say it's lasagna night in the Pharisee's house. One of the good things that the Romans brought when they invaded Israel was lasagna. I just made that up, so please don't (laughs) quote me on it. But it's lasagna night in the Pharisee's house and he fancies just that wee bang that, that, a, that a few basil leaves will give on, on your lasagna. So he gets his basil plant off the windowsill and he pulls off ten leaves and he, nine for me and he throws them on the lasagna and one for you, God. That's how good he is. Okay, He's really good. He tithes. He goes above and beyond what, what the law calls for. This stuff is all easy. This Fasting like that twice a week and giving a tenth of your possessions. That's just a wee bit of discipline and you're there. That doesn't take much effort. Remember how he started his prayer. That's the end of it. He started his prayer, God, I thank you. And we were waiting for something like the Psalms. And we got it. (laughs) But we got a, a, a new version of it that I've referred to as the new Pharisee translation of the Psalms. So God, I thank you. Give thanks to the Lord for I am good. You know, Not give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to the Lord that I'm so good. And then he goes to the, Pharisee, the new Pharisee translation of, of Psalm 107. I will give thanks to the Lord because of my righteousness, not his. And then he goes to 107 verse 1. We praise you, God, for your name is near. People tell of my wonderful deeds. It's all about him, his righteousness, his goodness, his wonderful deeds. That's Psalm 75 verse 1 was that last one. Okay, now I just made that up as well, just so you know. The new fires. Don't be going to the Faith Mission Bookshop tomorrow. and going in and saying, our pastor used this version and it was class. Have you got it? You know? Uh, no, what church do you go to? Yeah. I thank you that I'm so great. Remember last week when 
Gary Stevenson preached on, on Isaiah 41.10. And, and in that verse, Isaiah 41.10, you've got the first person pronoun, I, five times. Five things that God does. I am with you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. Five things where God focuses in on, this is what I do. This Pharisee has managed, in the Greek version of his prayer, to use five personal pronouns, first person pronouns, and to talk about himself five times in a little over one verse. And that's quite an achievement. You talk about having an inflated opinion of yourself in prayer. This guy could almost go to God and say, God, I've got a vacancy right now for a PA. You maybe could apply. (laughs) That's the way he feels about himself. He is just filled with pride. And pride is the very core of who Satan is and how Satan works. Pride. Causing us to have this inflated opinion of ourselves and to start to base our approach to God on our own works, our own righteousness, who we are, what we have done. And his prayer is just covered in pride. His fasting, his tithing, his comparisons to other people. But notice what he he doesn't do in his prayer. All, All those eyes, all those things that he does... And all those people that he is not like. He stood by himself. It's really, really easy for pride to seep in when you stand at a distance from other people. This Pharisee did not, he wasn't committed to anyone else. He wasn't committed in relationships. He wasn't committed in love. He wasn't committed in community to the people of God. He took a few steps to one side, raised his voice just enough in prayer that everyone could hear him, and he talked about himself. Fasting twice a week is easy. Tithing your basil plant on the the kitchen windowsill is easy. Walking long-term in deep relationships with people, that's a lot harder, and that takes the Holy Spirit. And religion can't do that. And pride cannot do that. And one of the things that I feel God never stops emphasizing to me is the importance of relationships within the church and community and investing in one another, in time, in prayer, in being together, whatever it may look like, that strengthening, strengthening, strengthening those relationships. Because otherwise that attitude of, of pride and arrogance can, can seep in to any of us. And what's the outcome? If that gets hold of you, if you start to pray like that Pharisee prayed and you start to hold that attitude, the outcome is when you look at verse 9 that started the passage, the, the, the address who this parable was targeted at, to some who were confident of their own righteousness, pride, And look down on everyone else. That's the outcome. That's the horrendous outcome when pride gets into the heart of the church that we begin to look down on the very people that Jesus died for. 
whether that's inside the church or outside the church. You look down your nose at people because you're comparing and you're convincing yourself that you are better than those dropouts around you. God challenged me about this in a, in a funny way not long after Christmas. I think I told you, one or two of you about this. I was in the gym one day and uh, I was on the treadmill. And when I'm on the treadmill, after you know, a certain period of time, about 30 seconds, no, after, after a period of time on the treadmill, I'm not in my best sort of relational space, <laughs> okay? Um, you, 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 hit, you, you just hit a level of tiredness and general, just leave me alone <laughs> at that point. I'm not, I don't want to engage with anyone. Patience is at an all-time low. Uh, I'm tired and I'm grumpy. Stay away. But this particular day, I'm on the treadmill and I'm, and I'm getting into that horrible, horrible place of being a horrible, tired person. And two teenagers come into the gym and they stand beside the treadmill and vape in the gym beside the treadmill. And I'm like, just, I am exploding. Like I'm absolutely, I wouldn't tolerate this at the best of times, but I'm in my bad place uh, right now. And they're standing beside me. And I sort of, I rebuked them. <laughs> uh, as I was still going on the treadmill, I just I started to rebuke uh, these two fellas. And, uh, and then they did it again. Uh, a few minutes later, they came back and they did it again. I was like, oh, unreal. So I finished off and then I just went over and I tackled one of them. And, and, and I took into him. Um, and he, he argued that it was okay because the window was open and... And I got really ratty and I actually got one of the one of the guys in the gym to come over, one of the, the employees to, you know, can you verify here that you should not vape in the gym? And uh, we did that and, and away I went, smug, self-righteous, you know, thank you God that you gave me the courage to rebuke those teenagers. And uh, whenever I sort of came, came, came back out of that miserable place, and into a sort of a better frame of mind, I felt God just give me a wee poke. You know the wee poke? Felt the wee poke. And uh, I'm not kidding. You see the next five times I was in that gym, every single time those two kids were there. Every time. In fact, the, next, the, the very next time after that that I was there, it was just me and them. <laughs> just, there's literally no one else there. And I'm like, I couldn't. I was. I, I'd gone in one day during the Christmas holidays, and I was in there on my own, nobody else. And I'm looking out the window, just loving life, and and I see the two of them going walking up the hill. I go, stop it! And in they come, and and I felt the poke. I felt the poke, and I went over to one of them, and I'm sure he didn't know he like what was coming. But I went over to him and I sort of, I, I put my hand out. It was New Year's Eve. I put my hand out and I shook his hand. I said, Happy New Year, kid. And he said, Same to you. I just felt God just putting the poke on and saying, If you look down your nose at those kids, because in your picture or your view, because of the way they dress, the way they act, the way they behave, their obnoxious attitude, their, their refusal to submit to boundaries, whatever it may be, if you just look down your nose at them, how will they ever know of the love of God? You know? I have put you in the same place as them and I'm going to keep doing it just to rub it into you. <laughs> Change your attitude. You see, if, you, if you're confident of your own righteousness and you look down on everyone else and you pray, I thank you that I'm not 
like these teenagers or whatever, you'll have no compassion for the lost. You'll be like Jonah. And you'll be saying about the people of Nineveh, they don't deserve the opportunity to repent. They don't deserve to experience your grace. Look at the choices they have made. They can just let them go there. They don't deserve it. And Jesus is like, no. No. And we've heard this and we've seen this previous times in Luke, most obviously with the elder brother in the parable of the the prodigal son who was so lost he didn't know he was lost. He thought his younger brother was lost and Jesus is like, no mate, it's you. (laughs) You're the lost one. And if we have this condescending, (coughs) superior attitude, we will not be able to minister to the people Jesus came to save. Because we will just separate ourselves from them and focus on our greatness. So that's prayer one. Prayer two, a lot, sh- a lot shorter. The tax collector, he stands at a distance. Not because he's aloof and wants to be separate from the riffraff, but because he's feeling the conviction and he's feeling the guilt of his sin and his life. He won't even look up he doesn't list any good deeds. He, does, he doesn't compare himself to anyone else. The only thing he's concerned about is his own spiritual health, him and God. He's not going to look at the crowd and see, can I find someone here who's worse than me so that I don't feel as bad about my sin? No, he's not interested. He's just convinced or he's just interested in his own connection with God. And like the Pharisee, his prayer is like Sam's. God have mercy on me, a sinner. That sounds awful like a psalm, Psalm 51, where David repents and says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. This tax collector comes and he also prays in the, in the manner of a psalm, but he doesn't edit the psalm and fit himself into it where he should not be. He takes the psalm as it is. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that phrase in his prayer literally means, God, make an atoning sacrifice for me. He's at the temple. He has seen all the religious trappings of sacrifice for sin, the incense being burned, the crowd of people praying. And in that place, he feels the overwhelming conviction of the Holy Spirit. And he just cries out to God, will you make an atoning sacrifice for me? For me. And this this is prayer. Approaching God with humility, with authenticity about who you are, not worried about who anyone else is. No comparison, no denial of sin. I've been thinking a lot about sin lately. (laughs) Doesn't sound great for a pastor, but I've been thinking an awful lot about it because we're going to dip into Ephesians with with some young people, we hope, on on, on a few Sunday nights and look at identity and look at what, what Ephesians says about who we are. And one of the things it says about us is that we're, we're redeemed. 
We're forgiven. We're made alive. We were dead in sin and we're made alive. And I think one of the questions that can easily arise there from a younger person is, well, why do I need to be made alive? I haven't done anything that bad. You know, I haven't killed anyone or or stolen anything. And and there can be a bit of confusion about what sin is because we associate it with these certain behaviors. But sin is, is living separate from God, and that's it. It's living independently of God. It is choosing to eat from the wrong tree. That's what sin is, and all of those behaviors are simply manifestations of it. And this guy comes. He's not denying his sin, his distance from God. He's not claiming anything other than God's mercy in Jesus. And the verdict, according to Jesus, two men went up to pray. At the start, in verse 9, two men went up to pray. This man, only one, this man went home justified. Not the other one. The Pharisee was not justified at all. It wasn't like he was 50% justified or 75. Not justified. Because of his pride and his arrogance and his looking down his nose at other people. That word justified there. I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. That's one of those theological words. Uh, Eugene Peterson would say that he wants to take theological words like that out of theological books and ram them into our everyday living. Justified means you're in right relationship with God. Sin breaks the relationship with God. To be justified is to be accepted by God. It's what God does for people. He makes us whole. He redeems us. He accepts us. And whenever we doubt that, again, we can go back to last week's sermon from Gary Stevenson, Isaiah 43, verse 1. Do not fear. I have redeemed you. I have. (laughs) I have summoned you by name. You are mine. You are mine. You are justified. You are justified. But the Pharisee was not. The Pharisee was not his. This man was, this tax collector, but not the Pharisee. And even this morning as we, as we break bread together, as we worship, we need to let that truth of being justified, accepted by God, God with his open arms. The next thing Jesus does is he embraces children after this. God with open arms embracing us and saying, you are my child because you come to me in your brokenness and you come to me only laying hold of my mercy and nothing else and not trying to convince me that you deserve something. You just throw yourself on my mercy. You are mine. You are mine. God hears that cry of humility. I think it was St. Augustine who said there are three things required to be a Christian. Humility, humility, and humility. <laughs> bit, of a, bit of a jokester was Augustine making his point. And I wonder, did Jesus learn this himself from the songs that his mother sang when he was a child? Did she ever repeat the Magnificat after he was born? God has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. 
Scatters the Pharisee. Scatters the one. Do you, do you know what? You compare yourselves to others in prayer, you're going to get scattered. You just get scattered. You want to be isolated from other people and not invest in them in community and journey with them in community. You want to be isolated? God, that's just fine. I'll scatter you. Just away you go. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. The humble. Those who just get real in the presence of God and don't hide who they are. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. The dangerous thing as we finish about pride is that we trust in our own righteousness. We place our confidence in who we are and what we do. If you do that, you are not in right relationship with God. Right? Is there a little Pharisee in me? Do I ever start to convince myself that I've done some good stuff for God? I'm not a, God's lucky to have me in the squad. We trust in our own abilities rather than trusting God and the horrendous outcome of that, which has eternal implications, which could keep people out of the kingdom of God, is that we start to look down on everyone else instead of having hearts overflowing with compassion for them the way Jesus does. The tax collector knew where he stood with God and still, still cried out for mercy. And as we come to, to break bread, maybe you musical folks want to come up here and um, lead us. I want to read from the, the liturgy of the, of the church the Anglican Church, the Church of Ireland, as, as I had it back in my youth, if I can find it in this massive. There it is. Listen to this. Love these words. We do not presume. And in, in our church, once the minister said that, everybody then joined in. We do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness. We're not coming like Pharisees. We're coming like tax collectors. We do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in thy manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table, but thou art the same Lord, whose property is always to have mercy always to have mercy. So I'm not coming as a Pharisee and I'm not coming with any sense of goodness to have I accomplished stuff this week or what? No. Be merciful to me, God. Make atonement for my sin. Amen.